0: Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we'll be talking with Grammy-nominated American rapper, DJ, actress, and entrepreneur, MC Light, Lewis Carr is the founder of Waymaker, the Lewis Carr Internship Foundation, the Blueprint Men's Summit, president of media sales at BET Networks, and author of Dirty Little Secrets. Today we'll sit down with MC Light who will discuss her career experiences and her biggest encouragement to listeners. Let's get started.
1: Good morning, Waymaker audience, and wait and welcome to the Waymaker podcast featuring my good buddy, friend, icon, MC Light. So glad to have you here today. Even though you're my friend, it's a privilege to be able to talk about your journey, your impact on the industry, and the waymakers you've had in your life, and how you've been a waymaker to so many others. Welcome, Light, to the Waymaker Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure to be here with you. Uh, and Waymaker. There's, I mean, there's so much to discuss. So before I try to take your show over, tell me how you want this to go.
1: (laughs) Well, we're basically just going to talk about what the Waymaker brand sort of stands for and how you sort of fit uh, into that perfectly. Uh, Mm -hmm. Here at Waymaker, as you know, we always want to inspire, educate, and motivate people to live their best life in order to change their families and their communities and ultimately the country. I think you are a classic example of somebody who has been on a journey living your best life for so long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clearly you have sort of transitioned uh, into other things besides hip hop. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. where, where you got your start and where you cut your teeth and we want to talk about how you did that, and how you've excelled at every stop along the way.
2: Well, uh, you know, first off, I would have to, I, I would have to talk about the fallacy of it being just, you know, for a long time I've been living this life that I always thought I would live. That's absolutely. Not true. Um, And there have been some major hiccups in my life where I had forgotten who I was, forgotten what I was doing, why I was doing it. There were a lot of things that I had to uh, work towards getting a better understanding so that I could fall back into line with who God made me to be. And so during those times were the hardest, but I imagine, not not that I imagine it is. So you go through the, you know, the ebb so that you can understand the magnificence and the blessing that a flow is. So uh, a ebb and a flow is what life is all about. And so I take all the ebbs graciously and through those ebbs, there were certainly waymakers that made themselves prevalent so that I was able to receive that blessing and get out of the muck and mire and in t- back into uh, or on the journey and the path that was intended for me. You know, in the very beginning, the waymakers, um, probably the very first was my mom, right? My mom and my dad made a way for me. I, I don't think I was planned. But once I was, you know, it was known that I was coming, they acknowledged me in a way that <laughs> that made me feel loved, which is extremely important. I think a lot of us take for granted that, uh, that our parents raised us. They didn't have to. They could have did some other things with us. <laughs> but lucky, lucky for, you know, those who are raised around love and care and all of the things that it takes to make a well-balanced child or nearly balanced. But one of the best things she did for me was exposure. She exposed me to things. And I think you uh, talked very uh, briefly about dreaming big enough. Well, lots of times people can't dream big enough because they haven't seen, they haven't experienced something that's bigger. That's just like when I used to be happy with the days in, There was a day until I went to the four seasons and I'm like, what what the hell, what's going on here, you know, so it, it instills something in you to want to be bigger to better and better so that you can live this finer quality or so that you can make that available to other people, so that they can have the experience and and then go out and do it for themselves. So I would say my mom was the first way maker for me.
1: So, so who and what was instilled in you to make you want to pursue music? Like, I mean, how did that come about? Was that inherent in you or did something come along your way and you goes like, that's interesting?
2: You know, uh, well, first off, I was a lover of music, you know, and spending time with my uncle. He played songs like Tina Marie and D Train, Evelyn Champagne King, you know, all of those 80s types of things. In the 70s, my mom went to school during the day and she worked at a bar at night. And before the bar would open, when she was there getting things ready, after her school, I would come after my school. And I would sit there and play songs on the jukebox. And that's where I learned about Rick James, who was my absolute favorite. <laughs> Matter <laughs> of fact, that was the first concert my mother ever took me to was a Rick James concert. I was nine years old. And the whole time she was covering my- I was going <laughs> to say, like,
1: you went to a Rick James concert at nine?
2: Let me tell you, you that was a I, little edgy. <laughs> say what <laughs> that,
1: was, that would have been a little edgy.
2: Yes, it was extremely edgy. It was the Mary Jane girls, Tina Marie and Rick James was the headliner. But I learned about that type of music there. Diana Ross, I'm coming out the boss, all of Donna Summer disco. That was my mom during, you know, those hours at the bar at night, she would play. Carol King, um, James Taylor, Kenny Rogers, you know, all of the soft, easy. So I loved music, but it wasn't until I went to Spanish Harlem and spent time with my cousins did I learn about hip hop. And so now we've got this whole new world of what feels like talking, but it's to music. And so for me, it was much more about talking than it was about singing or whatever. I had a message that I wanted to get out and it seemed the easiest way was through hip-hop.
1: Do you remember the first time that you came up with your own original lyrics? Mm. Do you remember that those first lyrics and what was that message?
2: Uh, I don't know that these are the first, but it is the the rhyme that I remember as far back as I can go. And it was, nothing can stop us. The desire to be on top is better than it was before. Uh, I don't remember the rest, but that's what, my name was Sparkle. My name was MC Sparkle. I had a partner. Her name was Dazzle. And our group was called Pure Elegance. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> to even say. <laughs> but yeah, those, were, those are for some of my first rhymes. And then honestly, I had a rhyme book and I put a lot of poems and stories and all kinds of things in there. And that book became my first album, Light as a Rock.
1: Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. And how old were you then?
2: I started writing in that book at 12. It was a composition book and I kept it for many years. And at 16 years old, I went in and, you know, somewhat auditioned for the record label. And that made up most of the album. Paper Thin, I Cram to Understand You, Light as a Rock, all of those songs.
1: And what were some of the lessons that you learned at that time that you may not have known they were lessons? until you look back.
2: Mm. At that time, I guess never to really take anything for granted, you know, it is amazing how we as matured adults can say to younger people, take your time, enjoy that. Like, it won't always be like that, like they don't, uh, it's hard to understand that at that age. And so I remember I graduated six months early um, because I could. You know, I took some summer courses because I knew that when I came back in January, I'd only have two courses. So I took them the summer prior to, and it allowed me to graduate six months early. And I remember my guidance counselor saying, no, 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 don't do that. Stay, stay for the extra six months, graduate with your class. Enjoy this. It's high school. It won't, you know, you'll never have that uh, time again. And I was like, hell no! I ain't about to stay six more months up in this place, and I can get out of here, <laughs> you know. So I left. So I would just say not to take things for granted, specifically time and experiences.
1: Great. Mm-hmm. So you started in the in, in the business in high school. Mm-hmm. and you sort of evolve. What was the next phase of uh, Sparkle?
2: <laughs> well, Sparkle, I, she was done away with. By the time I went to audition for the record label, it was Light.
1: Okay. Now tell uh, us, how did it get to Light?
2: Well, I said, okay, I needed to change my name. Before I was Sparkle, I was red because I used to keep my hair red in high school. And then, so wait, honestly, it was, my given name is Lana. So it was Lana D (laughs) and then it went to sparkle and then it went to red and then it went to light and light just came from a book of philosophers that I liked everything that they had to say about the light. The truth is the light, the light. Uh, you know shall lead you through darkness you're never alone with the, you know it was all of these really fantastic analogies as it related to light so i said um i'm just gonna take it and change the spelling and
1: yeah, yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask you how did the why get there in light versus something else
2: yeah. just, yeah. Uniqueness?
1: just
2: the, yep just change the spelling and it wasn't until I saw the first um, the first record and it had MC on it and I was like, I hit the, the my manager and the record label owner and I said, what MC? And they said, well, you needed a title and we didn't think uh, you know Queen Light or late. Now, mind you, this was before Queen Latifah. Uh So they were like, we didn't think Queen Light or or Lady Light, we didn't think any of that fit. We thought it was MC. And I was like, okay. (laughs) You know, that's why they want you young, because you don't (laughs) oppose anything. You're like, okay.
1: (laughs) And it has stuck for a very long period of time. So are you happy that it stuck? Or do you look back and go, like, "Uh, it should have been Queen Light? Or something else?
2: No, I definitely don't think it should have been anything else except MC Light. I did at one time try to drop it, and people were like, huh? Mm -hmm. Hey, so MC Light, why don't you get, like, (laughs) you know, it just, I guess it's like Puffy going from Puffy to P. Diddy to Diddy to now Love, like, ain't nobody, Puffy, come on now. Still Puff, still Puff. (laughs) Right, still Puff. So,
1: you had this career that Mm -hmm. was very, very successful and, and branded you as a pioneer, as an icon, and then you became this voice, all right? How did that happen? Was that an accident that you became this sort of voice Uh, that a whole lot of us didn't know it was your voice until we sort of peeped behind the curtain. And uh, I am talking about this, a voice of shows, commercials, and other, how did you get into voiceover?
2: Well, uh, I want to say the first time I did it, I didn't know that's what I could do. I mean, originally my plan was to attend Norfolk State University, major in communications and be on radio like Carol Ford in New York City. That was my whole thing. Um, However, I had gotten so far away from that. I just remember being asked by uh, VH1 to come on and do the voiceover for uh, hip hop honors. And so, but not only was I a voice, I was also a commentator backstage. And so that's when I f- finally uh, had a taste of what that meant. And I said, H- oh, had okay. you done any
1: of that before? Or how, how did they just reach out to you and well, say? Well,
2: you know, many years ago, I believe like in 88 or 89, Public Enemy had me play a news commentator for their video called Night of the Living Bassets. And so I'm reporting news in you know in the corporate world and we're about to go in and bust these executives doing cocaine in the public enemies. <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> <laughs> so here I was being the commentator going in there. So that was the first time. And then MTV had me do some com- uh, commentating for the DNC specials that they had. And then they had me do commentating for Live Aid, which was fantastic. I think I did it out of Philly or something at a big outdoor concerts that were going on across the nation. I mean, excuse me, across the world. But no, I still wasn't getting it. I still wasn't like, oh, I want to do voiceover until I heard Malcolm Jamal Warner, who is a dear friend. He did um, he did books. So I called him up and I was like, hey, check this out. I want to I want to get involved in voiceover. Is there anything you can do to help? Can I can you introduce me to your agent? Now, you know, in Hollywood, nobody's trying to introduce you to their anything, which I didn't even have enough sense back then to even know that rule. So I just asked him and he just gave it to me. So I met with that agent. And he asked me, well, why do you want to do voiceover? And I was like, well, because people tell me I got a good voice. He said, you know, it takes more than that to be a voiceover talent. And I said, "Okay, well, what do I need to do? He said, I want you to go into this workshop. It just so happens that it's going on this weekend. And I said, "Okay, cool. And I went into the workshop. He came by on the last day. He talked to the instructor. The instructor said that I was worth his time. And that is where it all began began for me.
1: Wow. So that advice. Way makers. Way waymaker. That Mm -hmm. advice. And you accepting that advice, like, so quickly to be able to do it that weekend. Most people would have been like, oh, no, not this weekend.
2: Well, let me tell you. First off, it was a good thing that I was in L.A. during that weekend. Because most weekends I was traveling to work. This was back in like 90, late 90s. And so that's one thing. The second thing is my New York kicked in and I was like, you trying to get paid. You trying to get like, is this some kind of hustle? (laughs) Excuse me, because for the two days, the Saturday and Sunday workshop, it was maybe about $350 or something like that. And I was like, oh, they must be running a racket. That was the first thing that came to my mind. New York would really turn you out, have you like topsy-turvy and speculative about situations that could uplift and grow you. And you're stuck behind who's trying to get over. So I had to get over myself with that. And yeah, and then I just jumped into the class. I learned some some great things and techniques that I still use today.
1: Wow. So you were still having gigs at that particular time when you started the voiceover
2: train. oh yeah yeah absolutely well imagine i my first record came out in 87 and i didn't start doing voiceover technically until about 97 98 okay yeah
1: so let's talk about the dj part of your life when did that kick in and how did that get started
2: well, um, hmm, I ran into Bismarck and uh, Cool V in the airport one day. And Bismarck said to me, why aren't you DJing? And up until that time, my manager at that time kept saying to me, you need to DJ. You need to DJ. Because I'm always talking about music and who did this record. And I can hear one. Now, I can't sing on key. But when I hear a key, I know that's a key that's similar to that key. Like my ear can tune into that. I can't tell you if it's an A, E, F, whatever, but I can say, oh, that was used in that song. You know, like I can pair things up. And so my manager knew that about me and he he always used to tell me I used to DJ. So I ran into Bismarck and Cool V and they were like, you should definitely DJ. I said, I don't know the first thing. He said, you love music. That's all that matters. I said, okay. So they started me with my first library. Um, So I owe that to Cool V and Bismarck. And from there I bought my computer. I got, you know, I am an avid believer in if you're gonna do something, you need to study it. And so as soon as I knew I was gonna DJ, I went and I took some classes. I need to know how to get around this system. What am I looking to do? How is it gonna make me different? I talked to DJ Jazzy Jeff. He said, you know what, Light? Make one set. Make one set and do that set every time you DJ. Okay, DJ Jazzy Jeff. Talk to Bismarck. Bismarck, don't blend anything. Bam that sucker in. Whenever you're ready to change a record, just like bang it in. Okay, Bismarck, okay. And then I had to develop my own style. You know, D-Nice said, like, just play one or two songs from way back in the day that nobody else plays and people will think you're the greatest DJ ever. I said, okay, thank you, D-Nice. So I took all of that advice and it helped me to to build what I like to do, which is now the DJ MC Light Virgin.
1: Wow. So, you're an artist. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You do voiceover for Mm -hmm. everything, including the BET Awards. Mm -hmm. You're a DJ. Mm -hmm. And then you had time and intentionality to want to give back and help young men. Tell us about that.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Well, all of that stems from Hip Hop Sisters, which is a foundation that was co-founded by uh, Dr. Lynn Richardson, who, of course, is the COO of my life. Uh, Dr. Felicia Shaw, who is my soror, Sigma Gamma Rho, Incorporated. And we all met up at the Michael uh, Jordan Invitational in Vegas, and we discussed what this foundation was going to be like and what it was going to encompass, who we were making it for, who we wanted to impact and how we were going to get this thing going. And from that meeting, I believe four months later, we had 501c3 status. And about a week after that, we had two $100,000 scholarships to give away to young women attending Wisconsin-Madison, the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And so it just felt like the right thing to do. When people, specifically young people, looking to broaden their horizons, looking to expose themselves to, you know, a new path, a a larger, more... um, uh, I want to say meteor, but that's not the word that I'm looking for, but they want something that's dynamic, a, you know, a life full of color. And that for some people comes with education. Broadening their minds will help them broaden their horizon. And so we have been so blessed to start our signature initiative, hashtag educate our men And through that, we have seen some really fantastic young boys come in and graduate into young men. And And, it's so, so awesome. So how did you sort of
1: expand from women to men, uh, especially during this time when so many programs are focused on women? How did you sort of make that decision?
2: Well, I, you know, if I'm going to keep it 100, and I always do, it wasn't me, it was Lynn Richardson. Uh, we went down okay. to visit the hip-hop press in uh, at Dillard University down in New Orleans, and once we got there and he gave us the information that the school was only 20% male, immediately Lynn kicked into like, oh, my God, we got to do something about that. That's only 80%, you know, that's 80% women. And, okay, what can we do to get more men on the campus? And that's really what it was born out of. And with that, uh, we've had, uh, to date, five young men walk across that stage at Dillard University and graduate and you know, I, our first graduate is a valedictorian and 4.0. Um, and he went into Goldman Sachs. Like they hired him right out and put him in training in New York and then moved him to Utah. And he had been working there, for, I think, for the last uh, three years. And now he just texted me the other day and said, Rock Nation uh, Entertainment gave him a position in the Beverly Hills office. And so he just moved to Texas to help Google, but now he's about to leave Google to go to rock nation. Cause he's always wanted to be in entertainment and he just had to go about it in a different kind of way. But and then we have another one. He he's doing programming Devon, he's doing programming for the Navy. So they're flying him out here and there to do, to do things. And we have, Justin, who just graduated on Saturday, who's headed to get his master's. So it, I'm just so excited for, for all of them and the lives that they have ahead of them.
1: Wow. So throughout your life, mm-hmm. you've had Waymakers. You've mm-hmm. been a Waymaker for mm-hmm. several people. As we sort of build this community, what would your advice be to some people who are still sitting on the sidelines who have the ability to be a way maker? What would your advice be to them?
2: Oh, goodness. Well, sometimes I believe uh, people don't understand the impact that they could have on another's life. And that just comes from, you know, believing in yourself and actually having... You know, the self esteem that it takes to understand that what you have is worth something. The knowledge that you have can be worthy and proven worthy to someone else if they knew it. You know, you think about half of the things that you know, if someone else knew them, what they could possibly do with that information. So I would just say to those who are on the sidelines wait no more. This is the time to get involved and to make a difference in someone else's life. Um, And, you know, I would imagine that if this commentary is not for you, you're already helping and you already see the difference that you have made in someone's life. But for someone who has never, I would say, get up off the bench, it's time to play the game and, and it's time to pass it forward. You know, there are young people in desperate need of leadership Um, for whatever reason. They just are not equipped for this ride in 2021. So I would say if you have something to give, don't hesitate. Get in the game.
1: And for people who are in need of waymakers, Mm -hmm. uh, and they may be young people, and they'd be maybe people who are in their careers right now. What advice would you give them? Uh, it sounds like like you, you just sort of just just ask, you know? Yeah, whether yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you weren't shy about, uh, excuse me, can you give me the number your
2: agent? I'm trying to do this. I didn't, I didn't know any better. You know, it was like, okay, this is what I need. He's a friend. I mean, and if I was out of line, I, I would have been okay with him saying, you know what? Um, he's not, my agent isn't taking on anyone new. Because I've had to say that. Literally, I have tried to be the liaison between those who want to do voiceover and my agent. And my agent will say, I'm not interested. I just... I, he broke the rules, I guess, or maybe I caught him on a good day, he wasn't expecting it, or whatever the case may be. But what I would say is, yes, ask. I mean, I'm in a similar situation now, I'm, I'm about to um, direct my first short. And so I called all of my friends that were directors and I was like, okay, listen, I need to know this, that, the third. Okay, yep, I need to know that. Okay, do you have a deck? Because I need to see it. I need to see the detail that you put in it so that I understand what it is that I have to do when I am trying to be compelling, you know, where I want to direct a certain show and I need to pitch it, it needs to come out correct. And so, yes, I would say, don't be afraid to ask. I mean, okay, someone says, no, it's all right. Get up and go. Don't let that be your end all be all. Okay. So now
1: we're going to move to this next phase. You are an actress, right? (laughs) How did that happen? Was that just simple as you ask or was there a way maker there also?
2: No, no. I, I have to say that there's always a way maker. Let me just say that. There's always a way maker. So thank you for even, saying that. Thank you yeah. for saying that. Yeah, I mean, me asking, I'm asking a way maker. Them giving me the information is giving me a away. Um, whether it's the way I take or not. They still gave me this is a way, this is a path that you can get to that. All of those DJs that I named, they gave me a way. He gave me my first library, Kuvi, cool and Bismarck telling me, do it this way, do it that way. Like they're all giving me the technique that worked for them. And so, if in the asking is also saying, I need a way to make this happen, I, I need you to share your vision or share your experience with me because this is going to help me make my way into wherever I'm trying to get to. So as it related to acting, you know, I wanted to act since I saw Facts of Life. Since I saw 2D on the Facts of Life, I wanted to act. I didn't know how I was gonna do it, when I was gonna do it. My mother used to take me to theater when I was a kid. I saw, you know, the original Dream Girls, 42nd Street, Cats, I mean, you name it, if it was on Broadway uh, during the late 70s, early 80s, I saw all of those plays. And so for me, it was about getting ready. So I had to go to acting class. So my acting teacher, David Kagan, when I first got here, he made the way for me. I was in school. I went to his his method for two years when I moved to Los Angeles. And so for me, he was the way. He, you know, he brightened that way up for me to be able to see what it was that I was doing, how it is that I could be better, all of that. So, you know, it's to every coach, every acting class that I've ever taken, they've always shown me a way which has helped to make my life, I wouldn't say easier, but it gave me more clarity.
1: So light you've done a lot of things. Was that intentional or was that sort of evolutionary? You know, uh, most people get in the music business and as you and I know, they stay in the music business. That's just kind of their thing. But Mm -hmm. you have sort of done a lot of different things that has really given you as my good friend, Hill Harper would say, options. Uh, was that intentionality or was that just the light evolution?
2: Oh, boy, it was a couple of things that led to that. Um, One is my first manager. I remember him saying, we're going to build your name so that your popularity is not dependent on a hit record immediately out the gate, I understood that. And that was told to me probably around the, my second or third album. And that was really important because that helped me to just open up the, you know, open up the spectrum of possibilities of everything that I had always wanted to do. I always wanted to act, you know, I wanted to be on radio like Carol Ford, I wanted to own my own business. I wanted to manage talent. I wanted to write, direct, you know, I I just wanted to do it all. And so what I've learned uh, with this management is you can do it all. You just have to plan and strategize so that you're giving all to one thing at a time and not spreading yourself thin, you know, so thinly. So, yeah, I guess it was intentional. -hmm.
1: That's great. So, Mm -hmm. and and what advice would you give? Because most
2: people
1: are sort of one-dimensional and, you know, they may be exceptional at that one thing, but most people are Mm one-dimensional. But we know that if you're good at one thing, there's a good possibility you could be good at something else too. So what advice would you give people in regards to giving them themselves options to do multiple things?
2: Hmm. Well, first off, I would say shake anyone who says that you can only do or be one thing, right? Because no matter how strong we may think we are, when we have people around us that kind of have a way of infiltrating our own thoughts, Uh, You can fall victim to having your mind swayed that perhaps you won't be good at that because you're good at that, you know, or, you know, you do numbers by day, but you play the bass at night. Why not? You know, who says because you work in an analytical space that you cannot be creative or vice versa, you know? I think that um, to have people around you that are doing the same things, that have different aspirations, that you know think more than just being a player, and I'll say actress, but I think about creating. What can I create that I can act in? Or what can I create that I can direct? Or, so I would just say, don't expect to hit a lever and just you know, wake up in the world you say you want to be in. You got to work towards it. There's not a single thing that I do that I didn't study. From voiceover to acting, to being a hip hop artist. I studied the craft before I did it. And I think it's really important for people to have a better understanding of things before, oh, I just want to be. Go look into it. You might even discover through study and research that you don't want to do that thing. And then you can stop wasting your time playing around with it and get down to something that you really, really want to do. So I, you know what, I consider us Renaissance people, you know, um, being able to see, uh, and I've had many inspirations, you know, I've had, the inspiration of say someone like LL Cool J. I was on his set many, many moons ago. I acted as a guest um, a guest star on his TV show. And I just remember him coming to my room. He wound up producing two songs on my album during that time. But he would come to my room and he would play me some tracks and then his assistant would come in and say, okay, check this out. Your flight is at so-and-so. And I just loved seeing the liveliness of his life. And it was a sitcom. He's working on an album. He's working on my album. He's traveling to New York City because he's putting together the tour for when he's hitting the road. I just loved, you know, entrepreneurship and enterprise, making things work, pop, pop, pop.
1: Yeah. So... You have been around some of the biggest names in entertainment. Mm. So this is going to be a, a hard question for you. Okay. I
2: don't think you have, I don't think you have one.
1: <laughs> if you had a dinner and could only invite four people, only invite I... four people, mm-hmm. who would those people be? And like you can choose. From if they're dead, they're gonna come back for you. If they're alive, they're gonna show up for you. Who would those dinner. four people be? They don't have to be an entertainment.
2: Just, right. just a dinner. A dinner. Yeah, just
1: a dinner.
2: Well, you know I would say Michael Jackson, but I don't need to see him eat. How would I be <laughs> on the dance floor with Michael Jackson? So we talk about dinner. Okay. Dinner. Um well there's gonna be deep conversation. Cicely Tyson. Okay. hmm Cicely Tyson. Deep conversation. Mm. Mm. How you know what you said deep conversation. I gotta invite the man that's behind you, Farrakhan. I'm excuse me, Farrakhan, Malcolm X. (laughs) Malcolm 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 X. X. I am so sorry. Yes, I have to invite the man that's behind you, Malcolm X, because that's where we are going to get deep. And I can only imagine that there are some opposing views between Cicely Tyson and Malcolm X. Okay, you got two Um, which, which is great for subject matter, yes. right? Okay, because we want to be entertained while we're at this table, right? That's correct. Okay. Well, I also think in the midst of that, I would want Bernie Mac at that table. <laughs> I okay. know. Yeah, All it was right. either Bernie Mac or Richard Pryor. Well, Richard Pryor might curse a little too much for Cicely Tyson. But who we know? (laughs) Cicely Tyson might have cursed. I don't even know. You know, like you never know what goes on in somebody else's private life. But um, I got one more person to invite him.
1: Right. So we got Bernie Mac. Yeah, I got all dead people. Okay. Chicago. (laughs) We got Malcolm X. And we got Cicely Tyson. Okay. We got one more.
2: I got one more. This gonna be a tough one. Uh, yeah, you did. You did say that, and I said it wouldn't be. And look, I think I want to leave that seat open just in case <laughs> for a pop-in <laughs> guest, for a doorbell,
1: <laughs> a do-drop in. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's um, may, maybe, maybe POTUS. Okay, Michelle Obama.
1: Michelle Obama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've
2: got I thought about a I thought a lot about the interaction between the folks. And I'm just going to be a fly yeah. on the wall.
1: So so you know when you put that group together that could be a card game, right?
2: <laughs> they could <laughs> we play a little bit
1: whisk. I know. Right, they could play bit whisk. All right. <laughs> Cicely and Michelle against Malcolm and Bernie. Okay, right. Uh, I knew. I know. One,
2: mm-hmm.
1: two, three of those intimately. That's why mm-hmm. I know it could be a card game.
2: Right. See, that's why. That's why you and I could play some cards.
1: <laughs> yes. That's right. I, so I would be your server. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would serve the food and I would just not as I was supposed to, but I would be listening in on the
2: conversation. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> because that's uh you're bound to get some opposing views. You're going to get some laughter. You're going to get realness. And I think that's what drove my decisions is a hundred percent on the table. You know, um, Sicily before she left was, critical stage of whatever, whatever needs to be said, I'm going to say, you know, and she was so classy and, and everything I'm sure lots of women aspire to. Um, And then of course, POTUS, uh, excuse me, FLOTUS, uh, Michelle Obama is, she's the now, she's, she is a for, for many of us, a uh, beacon of hope. And, you know, of course, Bernie Mac, he's gonna, he's gonna be real. He's gonna add laughter. He's gonna take a subject that's possibly so serious and so heavy and lighten it up. And, and, um, and then, of course, Malcolm X, he's going to give us some knowledge and some history because he he was such a historian in in knowing what he knew.
1: Yeah. So final yeah. question
2: like Yes,
1: final question. When you think about your life and all the things that you've done. What have you learned?
2: Oh goodness, you sound like James Lipton. <laughs> what have you learned? Um that not everything is what it looks like.
0: And is that good or bad?
2: Neither. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Not everything is what it appears to be.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: And I'm gonna leave that at that. So that I can come back and have further conversation about it. Okay.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Thank you so much. MC light. How can people follow you? How can they stay in touch with you?
2: Uh, at MC light on most platforms, at least the ones that I, that I've ventured to uh, on IG and Twitter and then uh, MC light.com. I can be reached there. And uh, Hiphopsisters.org. If you feel like giving, reaching into your, your heart and giving to some students that want to further their education.
1: Well, we thank you so much for all that you have done and that you all conti- that you all that you continue to do. We appreciate you so much for sharing uh, your story and your information with our Waymaker audience. And any way we can support you and help you. Always call on Waymaker because you are a thank Waymaker. You. You're part of our community. So thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Louis. It was a pleasure to be with
1: you. Thank you. And by the way, look for MC Life and her story on the cover of the fall
0: issue of the Waymaker Journal. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Louis Carr and MC Life. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.